And yeah, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. And really, here's a question. Do you know what you are supposed to do where you are right now? It's kind of like, it's a pretty important question, right? Like, granted, there are moments where, where we're planted, like in the middle of God's mission, but we're seeking God for the next step. You know, that happens. We know God wants us where we are presently. We're not here by chance or randomly. You are where you are right now because of God's leading, God's design. It's where he wants you. Um, and so we don't know every detail, though. We don't know every detail. And active faith, active faith means trusting God in your present situation, even though you don't know every single nuanced detail. Now, that's difficult, but it's almost a must in the Christian life. Like, like what happens is God has us where we are presently, but the beautiful thing is others come alongside us to help us see what we should be doing. Right? And we spoke a bit about this in the first chapter, that we are here to encourage one another. Pretty simple, right? And to sharpen each other in the faith. And when I first started serving the Lord years ago, I had a few men in the faith who encouraged me like crazy and helped me to see what I was supposed to be doing. I was encouraged, I was exhorted, I was discipled. Last week I met with a, a pastor for Coastline Calvary Chapel. They're a big old Calvary who has been in existence since the 80s. And uh, Pastor Neil Spencer, he recently took over as lead pastor for his dad. And his dad had been doing it for 40 years, four decades. And he was saying, yeah, his, his dad, my dad remained faithful. The first 10 years they were just a tiny church. They had trouble, like people weren't coming, like for 10 years, but he didn't quit. God will move and work in the lives of those who are just faithful and consistent, right? But just talking with Neo, it really helped my calling to be transparent. Like, I know what it is, right? I mean, I know what I'm called to, I'm called to teach the Bible. I knew it way before I even was a Christian, to, to be honest with you. Someone spoke into my life and said, you're going to teach, you're going to teach the Bible. I'm like, you're crazy. I wasn't even a Christian yet. They had given me a Bible, but I'm like, you're crazy. But I know my specific calling, but... Neil gave me clarity on some life things without even knowing it. He didn't even know it. And I got some serious answers from God through him. And he gave me insight into some church organizational things I had questions about. In other words, he just, he helped me greatly. And this is a purpose for this letter from Paul to Timothy, right? To help. Timothy was in prison. We know he was in a dungeon, a dark, dingy dungeon with no bathroom. You, can ima you can't imagine. It's just, it's nasty. But but he wrote this letter to make things clear to Timothy, to help him be, he was a young, Timothy was timid, remember? Timothy, First uh, Timothy, he was timid. He was a new young pastor and he needed help. And he helped him, that's what this letter is for. Uh, do you guys know about Rain-X? You know what Rain-X is? Okay, um, <laughs> the yellow bottle. Well, we didn't know about it until my fam a family we knew visited, they're building a property close to here. To, re to rent out and to eventually retire in. But they, brought a pop uh, they bought a property and they're building on it. And the husband was at our last church for years. We know them really well. The family is just close to us. But he's like, you guys don't know about Rain-X? What's wrong? And so he went and bought us a bottle. And he, and he actually spent about an hour putting it on the front windshield. And uh, he applied the stuff to the window like crazy. And it was pouring rain right after that. And I mean, Brianne was just amazed. She's like, you don't even need the windshield wipers. Because I, I hadn't changed them anyway, so it was like... It, but, the, but the rain just, it just beaded off, right? And, and the windshield, and I was astonished. I was like, we don't need windshield wipers anymore, you know? Um, but in a, in a weird sense, that's kind of like life. Like, as believers, God makes our calling and steps clear in spite of the storms and the rain in our lives. And that's what God's Word does for us, and that's how God uses us for each other. 
You know, it's important to have clarity in our calling because without clarity, we'd be playing a cosmic guessing game. Like, I guess I'm supposed to go here, Lord. I don't know. We wouldn't really know anything for sure. And God's not like, you know what? I want my kids not to know anything. As parents, you want your kids to know everything in order to survive out there in the world when they grow up and move out. You're preparing them to leave, basically. And that's kind of what God does in our lives, right? He's preparing us to step out in faith, not without him, with him, but he's given us all the tools to say, hey, you don't have to, you basically, you're mature now and you can go, like, go, walk in your calling. I prepared you for this. I strengthened you. I've given you the wisdom. And that's, God created us to know. He gives us the answers. Yes, there are moments where we trust God because we're like, I don't see anything in the grand scheme of things. But for the most part, God makes our calling clear as we just daily take those steps of faith. And while attending a convention, you know, one attendee was wearing two name tags. And someone asked him, why are you wearing two name tags, man? What's going on? And the gentleman replied, oh, because I'm having an identity crisis. You know, and it's like, this is the thing. Paul did not want Timothy to have an identity crisis. Rather, he wanted him to know exactly what a pastor is and what a pastor does. And the way Paul explained this in this letter to Timothy was with seven pictures. We're not going through all seven this morning, but we're going to start them. Seven pictures of the Christian minister. Seven pictures to help Timothy make his calling clear. And Paul wrote to Timothy about, number one, the steward. And we're going to go back over some of these this morning and finish it next week. But Paul wrote to Timothy about the steward, the soldier, the athlete, the farmer, the workman, the vessel, and the servant. That's a lot, I know. But the, uh, the steward, the soldier, the athlete, the farmer, the workman, the vessel, and the servant. And in this chapter, we have some exhortations that are good for Christian ministers, yes, but also, they're good for the Christian. They're good for the regular believer. Like, these are specific encouragements, and they're general encouragements as well, because it's the Word of God. It's God-breathed. Every Word of God is pure, the Bible says. The context, though, is from a minister to a minister. And keep in mind, we're going to see these exhortations and encouragements apply, again, across the board to every believer in the body of Christ. And so that's where to remember Paul is encouraging timid Timothy in his job, the first Timothy was all about the local church, the order of it, which is important, right? God is a God of order. And the second letter is this personal encouragement to Pastor Timothy who needed it. Like, in the Bible, it doesn't say things haphazardly. You know, God didn't tell Joshua, be strong and courageous three times just for the fun of it. It was because Joshua had to take over from Moses and he needed strength and encouragement and wisdom and help. He needed that, hear that exhortation. I think unconditional encouragement in the Christian life is one of the most important things. You know, some people are like, you know what, I don't want to encourage them because I don't want them to get prideful. They're already prideful. But that's not, we're not the Holy Spirit, right? We just give out encouragement and let God do the work. It doesn't matter what happens after that. It's just like we're called to encourage one another, exhort one another, help one another, sharpen one another. You know, we had the, the men's dinner the other night and there was a bunch of guys and it was an awesome time, you know? And... In my prayer, I was like, guys suck at getting together. <laughs> I was like, but it's true. But when we do get together, it's like, this is what it's about. It's not, we're not Lone Ranger Christians, right? And we're not like Tom Hanks and Castaway, like just by ourselves, right? We're in this together. We're not on an island alone. We're in this together. And we got to make an effort and take initiative to get together, to talk, to pray for one another, to disciple one another. And so 
Paul encourages Timothy like crazy. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your Word. We just thank you for this time to gather together, Lord, in your name. We just pray that you would just teach us, Lord, as a church and, and also individually, Lord, for what you have to say to us, that uh, we would be teachable this morning for what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 1 and 2, you guys, of chapter 2 of 2 Timothy says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 2 Timothy 2.2. So, 2, 1, and 2. So it's the steward is the first point, the steward. Like, it's important to know that the ministry is not something we get from God and keep to ourselves. Like, this is mine. This is all mine. Like, in life, we hold everything with open hands because it's all God's anyway. A lot of the time, we get this possession mentality where it's like, it's mine. It's mine. Don't touch it. Like, again, my kids are like, this is mine. They're just last night. They're like, don't touch my stuffed animal. It's like, you know, and it's like, it's mine. But the ministry, what God has for us, we, we hold that with open hands, and we don't keep it for ourselves because the ministry is a gift that God blesses us with to be responsible for, right? And the gift isn't used to draw attention to ourselves, for definitely not. It's all from God, and it's all for God, like Colossians says. See, the true treasure that we have unlimited access to, the true treasure, you guys, is the Word of God, it is the Word of God. This is, this is amazing. It is amazing, and sometimes I think we lose our awe of the Word of God. It's like, um, sorry, but this is in my, in my mind, but it's like the, uh, the everlasting gobstopper from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Like, it never loses its flavor. It doesn't. It's always good. I love candy, so the concept to me really changed my life when I was a kid. I was like, does that really exist, you know? And when I found out it didn't, I was crushed. But, um, but the thing is, with, with reading the Bible, this is a treasure. Like, the Word of God, it's always good and is profitable for so much in our lives. It's God's heart for the world, the church, for believers, for the lost. It's always good. It's everlasting because it's likened to actual to honey. It's likened to honey. You know, Psalm 119.11, the psalmist says, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. This book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Right? Someone's, I didn't say that. Someone much smarter than me said that. But but. When I was a kid, I don't know what, I'm on a movie tangent, I'm just saying, when I was a kid, I loved Goonies, remember? I don't know if you ever watched it. I tried to watch it again when I was saved, and I was like, this is inappropriate, I can't watch this. So uh, I wouldn't recommend it, kids. But, but I loved it because at the end, they found all the treasure, and when you're a kid and you see treasure overflowing, it's like shiny and glowing and amazing, and it's like, wow, it's just, it's alluring, right? I remember my best friend growing up, we were on the playground, and he had these like fake diamond things, like, I don't know. They were these shapes, and they had diamonds in them, and we all thought they were real. He talked us into thinking they were, like, totally, and we're like, wow, that's amazing. He's like, you guys can have it, and he threw it like, like we're dogs, and we're like, whoever got it first got to keep this thing with the diamonds in it, but it was shiny, and it was like, wow, this must be valuable. The Word of God is a treasure. It is valuable. It's actually better than silver and gold and any valuable earthly thing. Because God's word, it's pure, it's perfect. It gives the information that leads to transformation. And that's the biggest thing. It gives the information, the truth, that will lead to transformation. And so what do we do with this? Well, Paul's telling him, hey, we are to be good stewards of the word of God rather than the philosophies of men, rather than politics, rather than anything else. Like, we are to be good stewards of the word of God first and foremost. 
we are to test everything by the word of God, especially the doctrines of grace. This is important. It actually takes strength to teach the scriptures because you have to dig. When I first started pouring concrete uh, 20 plus years ago, I would follow, like there was a backhoe and they would shovel and they would dig the ditches for the, for the foundation, you know, and, and the guy would dig and, and I would go and I was just a, you know, a grunt. I was, I was just like shoveling, man, and the, the, man, the, the roots and stuff in there, you had to like cut. And it was, it was not easy. It didn't just happen easy with, you know, it was hard. And we did this all day and it took work. It took sweat and strength. And I had, I had to drink a lot of Gatorade to not get dehydrated. But the digging, the digging needed to be done to get the concrete and the pipes in the ground so we could start pouring the foundation. Well, we must dig the rich mines of Scripture to get to the gold, the silver, the precious promises. You know, instead of just casually being like, yeah, that was a good book, that was a good novel. Like, no, this is like the Word of God for the church and for us individually. I love what Proverbs 2, 1 through 10 says, and it's a father to a son. And he said, Proverbs 2, 1 through 10, says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then what? Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. And then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. God's word is a treasure that we take with us to heaven. You're not going to take your house to heaven. You're not going to take your fixed-up car to heaven. Like, you will not take the stuff in your fireproof safe to heaven. Like, your earthly house will rust and break down. You'll constantly have to work on it, right? Homeowners, you know this, right? Homeowners, you know this. It was much better. Like, we rented an apartment back when we lived in California. It was so nice because we're like, landlord, toilet's broke, or whatever. And they would come and they would fix it. But when you're a homeowner, you got to fix it yourself. And, and, and it's like you fix the sink and then the toilet breaks. You're like, Really? The toilet breaks, and you're like, I'm done. i got to mow the lawn. <laughs> there's always something to work on. And if there's nothing to work on, there's something else to do. But the treasure that we have and keep in our hearts and pass along to others is right here. And it's the Word of God. And those of you who have been coming to Calvary or have gone to Calvary before, we're definitely not the only church that teaches the Bible, but we stick to the Word of God, and this is what we teach, and this is what we talk about, and this is not, that is not going to change. I said last week, if I start talking about something else, kick me out, fire me, whatever, lock the doors and don't give me the key, because it's all about the Word of God, right? The treasure that we have and keep in our hearts is the Word. And the reason why the Apostle Paul had such great strength to spread the gospel in spite of hardships and storms was God's great grace, which he tells Timothy. He says this in verse 1, and he says it in 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul wrote, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So the ability to study and to understand and expound upon the scriptures is not from man. It's, it's God's grace. When we're going through 1 Timothy, we saw that a requirement for ministry was to be apt to teach. 
right? This means to learn and to steward or be responsible for what is imparted to you. To steward the Word of God is to take it seriously and be a diligent student of the Word. Now, this is not only for ministers, not only for Timothy. This is for all believers. Like, we're all stewards of God's Word, right? You don't have to be, like, an employee at a a church or a worship leader. Like, every single believer is a steward of God's Word. A believer should see the Word like a treasure and not keep it to themselves. Because oftentimes with treasure, we're like, I'm going to keep this treasure thing, you know. Uh, But we want to give it out. It's like uh, back in California, my safe deposit box, I have... Some, some, I have like a Bo Jackson card. I don't know if you know that Bo Jackson card. He played baseball and, I'm older, okay, baseball and football, but there's a, I have a bunch of uh, baseball cards and football cards and stuff that are valuable, and, I, and those are what I, I keep there. But um, with, when it comes with the Word of God, it's treasure. We don't want to hoard it, and we don't want to be selfish with it. Like someone told you about the Lord. There was someone in your life that influenced you. And aren't you glad they were bold to do that? Because what if they're like, you know what, I should talk to them. I should let them know about what life really is about. But you know what, I'm busy. I got other stuff to do. I got a big old list of stuff to do, so maybe someone else would talk to them. Aren't you glad someone talked to you about the gospel, about God's word, about what life is about? A believer should see the word of God like a treasure. It's more valuable than all the riches in this crumbling, temporary world. So Paul gives us a picture of a steward to be responsible. And a lot of us, you know, I mean, especially I guess when you're younger, you think, of, you think the word responsibility and you're like, oh, gross. Like, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with responsibility. But, but as believers, we, do, we have a responsibility to take this in, right, and then give it out and let people know. And God gives us opportunities. You guys know that. He's given you opportunities at moments, and you're just like, should I or should I not? And trust me, there's grace. There's grace, and that's what Paul is telling Timothy. There's been moments where you had opportunities, and the Holy Spirit was like, tell that person. And you're like, uh, no, <laughs> and, you, and you walked away, right? There's grace for that, but when those opportunities come, it's the Lord's strength, his wisdom, his leading, the Holy Spirit that helps us to follow through. Because when we follow through, other people will know about the truth that set you free, that set me free. So we're responsible. Like, it's a good responsibility, though. It's not like you're giving someone, here's bad news, you know? It's the gospel, which means good news. You're giving them good news. So the steward. And the second thing is the soldier. Well, we're not going to get through four of them. We'll get through two of them. I'm sorry. But we're going to just continue on. The soldier. And so to group these verses, I'm using uh, verse 3 and 4 and verse 8 to 13, okay? So 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4 says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Verse 8, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Verse 11. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So Paul loved the military illustrations because he often used them. I mean, after all, he lived in a military state and he was in prison 
with guards all around him. And so Paul describes in these verses the characters of a good soldier of Jesus Christ. What does a good soldier do? Well, a few things. Verse 3, first of all, a soldier of Jesus endures hardship. People mistakenly have the idea that ministry like, is a soft, easy, laid-back job. You know, people think this way, usually romanticize ministry, and it's not even close to an easy job. Oh, yeah, the pastor works. You only work one day a week, like, for, like, a couple hours, right? Cool, that's easy. I want to do that. They, they, just, they just go out to lunch with people, you know, and just hang out and go to conferences. Yay. But being a pastor, it's actually, it's not easy. It shouldn't be romanticized. It's like being down in the trenches with those in pain and bleeding who need help and lack hope. Being a pastor involves dozens of, of hours of, week of study plus counseling, being on call to, to help those who are in need. The enemy attacks the minister most of all. It's not like a glamorous, easy job. Being a minister doesn't suck, though. I just want to make that clear. It doesn't suck. It's, it's amazing for those who are called to it, uh, but it's not easy. The minister takes on the trials of believers and prays for them often. Uh, they, they carry the weight of church decisions and finances and the events and all that stuff. But this is what Timothy was doing. So he was overwhelmed. He needed help. He was timid. And this is why Paul is writing to him. The minister carries the weight of the church and all of that stuff. Of course, he has help. And that's the thing. He's not in it alone either. I'm just saying it's, it's a vocation that needs a lot of endurance. And that's what Paul is writing. Man, when my first mission trip to another country, I came back from it. I was, I, I don't know if you've been on mission trips. Maybe some of you have, but I, I went to Peru and, uh, I was like sick for a month. It was horrible. And my pastor was like, hey, let's go. Back in California, there's a place called Killer Shrimp. And they have big old jumbo shrimp in a bowl of sauce, and you dip bread in it. It's so good. And um, he's like, let's go. Come on, I'm going to take you out to eat now that you're back. I'm like, okay. And I was like pale and sick, and I hadn't eaten for a week. And I was like, and um, they were just like laughing at me. But it was, it was nasty. I couldn't eat. I came back exhausted from the ministry. Like, if you've been on a mission trip, you know that right when you wake up, you eat breakfast, and after that, it's run the race, run, go, 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 busy the whole time. And then you come back at night just dead, depleted. You, you've probably been there just doing certain things. You've just had a hard day, a long day at work, and you just have nothing left. Um, it was serious. I was exhausted because we did so much ministry. It was exhausting, sure, but there's such a thing as serving the Lord so much that you get tired and need rest. That's okay. Read about the people of God in the Bible and you'll see that working for the Lord is not easy work. But God empowers us to do it. Yes, we're empowered by the Spirit, but still, if you're serving the Lord constantly, you're going to need some times of rest. Paul even writes, he's like, you know what? At one point in his ministry, he's like, I will spend and be spent for their souls. So he's basically like, you know what? I'm going to get tired. I'm going to do ministry. It's going to be difficult, but I'm not going to stop. You know, Timothy had to endure false teaching and strong-willed people, all the carnality of the city of Ephesus. It was bad. And that's the thing about a soldier. A soldier endures. He has to in order to make it through. And then the second thing, second of all, a soldier of Jesus, verse 4, avoids worldly entanglements. So yes, there are many pastors who have have to you know, do a secular job to survive and run a church, but those who are fully invested and supported by the church should not get sidetracked from worldly endeavors or use you know, working at a church as an excuse to do their own stuff. And this is what Paul is saying. There are pastors who focus more on worldly things than the actual church. So for the minister, it should be all about the eternal rather than the earthly. And in a real sense, as believers, like we need to focus on things above, not on things of the earth. People are like, you're so heavenly focused, you know, earthly good. Well, you know what? I'm so heavenly focused that I am going to be effective on the earth and impact people for eternity. 
all glory to God always, but we, we need to focus and look up before we look ahead. The third thing, a uh, soldier of Jesus Christ, they magnify Jesus. Verse 8 and 9, they magnify Jesus. Hebrews 2.10 makes it clear that Jesus is the captain of our salvation. Our purpose is to honor and glorify him. He's the captain of our salvation. When we were, uh, me and Brienne were super younger, <laughs> um, we went to San Francisco for a trip, you know, and we went, we had a whole, you know, clam chowder, bread bowl and all that, and we uh, took this, this boat, and it was, uh, there was like a big boat that was expensive, that probably would have been nice and smooth, and then there's a small dingy kind of ghetto boat that we took because it was only like $20. And so we took the small one because we we're like, ah, it's cheaper, let's do that, you know. And, and we took that and it was choppy that day. And we went out there, the captain still took us out there even though it was choppy. And man, it was miserable. It was freezing and it was, the boat started doing this. If you've been on a boat doing this, it's like, whoa, this is like crazy. And so basically at one point, and I'll never forget this, but the boat went down, and it splashed this big old thing. And I, I, right at that point, this water came up. I looked at my wife, and it was like, and it drenched her. I was like, this is horrible. I'm sorry for taking you out. But, but the captain took us out there, and I'm like, he steered it. I'm like, why did we even go out there, dude? Because we didn't even make it to the Golden Gate Bridge. We were on the way there. We made it like halfway. He's like, we've got to go back. We didn't get our money back. The dude steered us wrong. But as a soldier of Jesus, like, as, you know, He's the captain. He's in charge, but he's not going to lead us into waters that we can't handle. Like, he will not give us more than we can handle. He will give us stuff where we're like, I think I can't handle this. But he knows that you can with his spirit, with his strength, with his wisdom. We think we can, but he knows we can. And, and he is the captain that never steers us wrong. Our purpose is to honor and glorify him. And the best way to magnify Jesus is through the ministry of the word. And this is what he was saying. We magnify or make much of Jesus by sharing the gospel, which has everything to do with Jesus. And the fourth thing a soldier of Jesus does is they, they think of the whole army, verse 10. They think of the whole army. Like Paul didn't just suffer and struggle for himself. He's like, man, I want to make a name for myself. I want everyone to know me. No, he did it for the greater good of the church and to expand the kingdom of God. And he did, right? He planted over 20 churches. He was a missionary. He was a pastor. He was, a, he was just out there doing the work. And a soldier who thinks only for himself is not, will not be dependable, will not be able to work as part of the, the, the team, the battalion. A soldier thinks of his own battalion and doesn't just fend for himself. You know, Corey Tenboom, the Christian Holocaust survivor, she said, be united with other Christians. A wall with loose bricks is not good. The bricks must be cemented together. So a good soldier doesn't just think of himself, he thinks of the whole battalion. What's best for all of us together to make it through? A believer doesn't just think of himself, think of the whole body. Dwight L. Moody said, I have never yet known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people were divided. So there shouldn't be a loss of connection. We should be cohesive and connected so we can work together and get out there and make an eternal impact. It's about the whole body, not just the individual. We work together. Who cares who, cares who gets the credit? It doesn't matter. God gets the credit, actually. But for us, we don't we're not glory hounds. We're not like, oh, someone, is someone going to give me a pat on the back? Do you know what I did? Like, you know, no, God gets the glory, not us. And fifth, a soldier of Jesus trusts his commanding officer. Verse 11 to 13. 
It, it is faith in Jesus that gives us the victory. There's no need to fear our enemies, for the Lord has already conquered them. We know the end of the story. Revelation, we know who's going to win. Like, we're on the winning team. You know, through our identification with Christ in death, burial, and resurrection, we have won the victory. For more on that, you can look at Romans 6. Now, this picture is not only for ministers like Timothy. Again, this is for every believer. We are soldiers in the Lord's army, if you will, and we have a leader who has already won. So we can trust in him fully. If you really believe God is leading your life and he has a calling and a promise for you, you're going to trust fully in him and not be like, well, I'm going to half trust in him and I have trust. I got some pretty good ideas. Like I got some pretty good plans and everything. So I'll trust you, Lord, but hold on. I got these plans right here. And those plans better be bathed and soaked and permeated in prayer and say, Lord, what should my plans be? Instead of like, you know what, Lord, here are my plans. Bless them, please. Thanks. See you later. But instead, Lord, I'm making these plans, but I want you to direct and guide and lead my plans because it's about what you want, not what I want, right? We shouldn't be about, I mean, we have surface-level dreams, right, that will never lead to any happiness. Always lead to just being empty, unsatisfied, that void. Surface-level dreams, never good. The way to go deeper is to follow God's calling for our life, right? And he knows what's best, and he knows what will bring us the most joy and the most impact for eternity. We just have to submit to his will, and that's the hard part, right? To submit and do what he wants us to do. But we trust him as the leader, the captain of our souls, right? We are soldiers in the Lord's army, and we can fully trust our commanding officer because he makes all the right tactical decisions. He's not going to lead us into an ambush and just so we'll be taken out. Like, he knows what we need. And we, what do we do? A whole bunch of stuff. No, we just follow. We just yield to him, right? And we stay there until God says go. It was a pastor friend of mine who was praying about um, getting married. He, uh, he was like, I don't know if it's a time or not. Lord, I don't know. Like he was praying like crazy, driving down the, the, the street at night. And he was like, Lord, and this is a prayer. He, 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 he told me, he was like, Lord, I don't know if I should marry this. I feel like it's from you, but I don't know 100%. I want to make sure. This can't just, I don't want this to be random. You can't just get into this and get out. So Lord, if this is from you, if you want me to marry this godly girl, give me a green light. And at that very moment, no joke, a firework went as he was driving. And he looked over, and it was green. And it was a green firework. And he was like, Okay, Lord. And they, and they've been married for years ever since then. But man, God will lead us. Like he's calling us. We have to trust him as the captain of our soul. He knows how to lead. We have to learn how to follow, right? And submit to his will because it's always better than our own plans. His ways are higher than our ways. His plans are better than our plans. He knows what is going on. So Paul Talk to Timothy. We only got through two and seven, but he talked to him about being a steward and being a soldier, letting God lead us. 